Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 61 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Our big Bible question of the day, why did God save the Israelites and not the Egyptians on Passover night? So do we earn salvation with God from God by our goodness or by unearned favor? Well, happy Lord's Day, friends. It's Sunday, and as has become our habit, today's pod will be short and sweet. Lots of scripture, not as much commentary. Our Bible passages for the day include Job chapter 30, Luke chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 16, and our focus passage, which is Exodus chapter 12, the Passover passage. Now, before I read it, I want to point out these really important verses. Verse 7, They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. Verse 13, The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. The King James Version there says sign or token. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 21, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families, and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of the house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. As a reminder, God had sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to tell him to let the Israelites go from their slavery. Pharaoh refused again and again, even in the face of terrible supernatural plagues that God was sending his way. So God finally sends the final plague, which would cause the death of the firstborn in every house in the country of Egypt, except for the houses with the blood on their doors. So let's read the passage and then come back for a discussion. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. 
I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This will is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. You are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You are to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all of your homes. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families, and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshipped. Then the Israelites went out and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave and bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them out quickly of the country, for they said, We're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and items for clothing, and the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they had requested. 
In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. A mixed crowd also went with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The people baked the dough they brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves, since it had no yeast. For when they were driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that same day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner may eat it, but any slave a man has purchased may eat it after you have circumcised him. A temporary resident or hired worker may not eat the Passover. It is to be eaten in one house. You may not take any of the meat outside the house, and you may not break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. If an alien resides among you and wants to observe the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised and then he may participate. He will become like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat it. The same law will apply to both the native and the alien who resides among you. Then all the Israelites did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. On that same day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. I saw a post earlier today on Facebook. I've copied it on our website, Bible Reading Podcast. It is a picture of a door with blood pasted over the lintel and the doorpost. And it says this, The Lord did not check who inside the house was worthy. He checked for the blood on the doorposts. None of us is worthy. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us. That was shared by my friend Manny Acosta at Valley Baptist Church, among other people. And it makes a fantastic and true point. It was the blood on the doorpost that saved the people, not the worth of their lives. God's angel of destruction in Exodus 12 did not spare the houses where good people lived, nor did he spare the houses where the Israelites lived. He spared only the houses where there was blood painted over the doorposts. This was not a salvation by merit or a salvation by righteousness or salvation by ethnicity. This was a salvation by blood which, of course, points us in the direction to the blood of Jesus. Allow me to quote from a couple of Spurgeon sermons on this topic. Spurgeon says, My own side of the precious blood is for my comfort, but it is the Lord's side of it which secures my safety. Even when I am unable to behold the blood on the door of my heart, the Lord looks at it and passes over me because of it. If I am not so much at ease as I ought to be because my faith is dim, yet I am equally safe because because the Lord's eye is not dim, and he sees the blood of the great sacrifice of Jesus with a steady gaze." What a joy is this. 
The Lord sees the deep inner meaning, the infinite fullness of all that is meant by the death of His dear Son. He sees it with a restful memory of justice satisfied and all the ma- His matchless attributes glorified. He beheld creation in its progress and said it was very good. But what does He say of redemption in its completeness? What does He say of the obedience and even unto death of His well-beloved Son? None can tell his delight in Jesus, his rest in the sweet savor which Jesus presented when he offered himself without spot unto God. Now we rest in calm security. We have God's sacrifice and God's word to create in us a sense of perfect security. He will, he must pass over us because he spared not our glorious substitute, his son. Justice joins hands with love to provide everlasting salvation for all the blood-sprinkled ones. That's a good word. One more from Sir Spurgeon. Now, this passage is from a sermon he preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle based off of the King James Version of Exodus 12, in particular verse 13, which says, And the blood shall be to you for a token, or a sign, upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Spurgeon says, There are some, as we have said, who desire a token, or a sign, or a good luck charm of their safety from man, a poor thing when they get it, and not worth asking for. And there are others who desire it from God, in the form of a sign, or a wonder, or else they will not believe. But God says to all those who desire a token, or a sign for good, the blood shall be to you for a token. What more can we desire? All the squadrons of the angelic host could not better assure us if each one brought a message from heaven. The best of all evidences of divine love is the cross, the strongest of all assurances of safety, the surest of all pledges of favor. The best token of grace that a man can possibly behold is the sprinkled blood of Jesus by which he is cleansed from sin. The blood shall be to you for a token. Before we dive more into the subject, let us notice, says Spurgeon, that the blood which was a token to God's people was not merely that which that which had been shed by the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb, but blood which had been caught in a basin had been taken by the person at the head of the household in his own hand and recognized as poured out for him. Then the branch of hyssop was laid to soak in the basin of blood, and afterwards the blood was sprinkled upon the lintel and the doorposts of the house. This blood thus appropriated was the token. By faith, we must take Christ to be ours. We must, in a word, believe in the atonement which he has made, for an atonement which is not believed in is no atonement to us. Our Lord Jesus laid down his life for us, but he that does not believe in him shall by no means partake of any of the blessings of his death. The sprinkled blood, says Spurgeon, preserved the houses of the Israelites, and it is the blood of Jesus accepted by us, relied upon, and applied to our consciences which delivers us from death. This sprinkling, moreover, was done in a very public manner. They stained the frame in the two side posts of the house so every passerby might see it. Yes, and must see it. So salvation is premised not alone to believing, but to confession with the mouth. 
And here Spurgeon quotes that passage. He that with his heart believeth and with his mouth makes confession, he shall be saved. And so the Grand Commission at the end of the Gospel of Mark, says Spurgeon, puts it, not he that believeth shall be saved, but he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. For if we believe in Christ, we must not be ashamed of him. Shame about faith would argue insincerity of faith. True faith in the Savior is so potent a principle of our lives that it must be seen whether we publish it or not. And we must be willing that it should be seen. Yes, this should be the most visible point in our lives, our glory and our delight, that we do indeed believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that every one of you, my dear hearer, says Spurgeon, use the cross for its proper purpose. I grieve that any among you should need me to ask you. The lamb is slain, but you have never caught the blood. You have never sprinkled it with the hyssop branch of faith, and consequently you are not saved. Oh, that each one of you could say, My faith is resting in the substitutionary work of Jesus. And amen, my friends. If you are listening to this and you believe in Jesus, but you've never put your faith in him to save you by his sacrifice, I urge you to do that. Let his blood cover the door of your heart that you might be cleansed and saved to the uttermost by what Jesus did, not by your works. Now, let's read some more scripture, starting with Job chapter 30, verse 1. But now they mock me, men younger than I am, whose fathers I would have refused to put with my sheepdog. What use to me was the strength of their hands? Their vigor had left them. Emaciated from poverty and hunger, they gnawed the dry land, the desolate wasteland by night. They plucked mallow among the shrubs, and the roots of the broom tree were their food. They were banished from human society. People shouted at them as if they were thieves. They are living on the slopes of the wadis, among the rocks and in the holes in the ground. They bray among the shrubs. They huddle beneath the thistles. Foolish men without even a name. They were forced to leave the land. Now I am mocked by their songs. I have become an object of scorn to them. They despise me and keep their distance from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face because God has loosened my bowstring and oppressed me. They have cast off restraint in my presence. The rabble rise up at my right. The trap They trap my feet and construct their siege ramp against me. They tear up my path. They contribute to my destruction without anyone to help them. They advance as though through a gaping breach. They keep rolling in through the ruins. Terrors are turned loose loose against me. They chase my dignity away like the wind, and my prosperity has passed by like a cloud. Now my life is poured out before me, and days of suffering have seized me. Night pierces my bones, but my gnawing pains never rest. My clothing is distorted with great force. He chokes me by the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I have become like dust and ashes." I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. When I stand up, you merely look at me. You've turned against me with cruelty. You harass me with your strong hand. You lift me up on the wind and make me ride it. You scatter me in the storm. Yes, I know that you will lead me to death, the place appointed for all who live. Yet no one would stretch out his hand against a ruined person when he cries out to him for help because of his distress. 
Have I not wept for those who have fallen on hard times? Has my soul not grieved for the needy? But when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, darkness came. I am churning within and cannot rest. Days of suffering confront me. I walk about blackened, but not by the sun. I stood in this assembly and cried out for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin blackens and flakes off and my bones burn with fever. My lyre is used for mourning and my flute for the sound of weeping. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. One man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. For what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am, dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick! Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the home, he heard music and dancing, so he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years from you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, 
You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows." But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you, because he is doing the Lord's work, just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he can come to me, because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I urged him strongly to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's a good place to sign off. Good day to you. My love to all of you also in Christ Jesus and Godspeed.